Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to, well, me. My name is Sarah Nixon, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum. I would like to begin by saying that we are recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and that we honor and acknowledge that this land is part of the traditional territory of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe's peoples and their allies, and is adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. This is the fourth part in a series of podcast episodes detailing the fallen workers of the Welland Canal. Over the course of this mini-series, I have been speaking with Des Corin, a longtime volunteer with the St. Catharines Museum and avid fallen workers researcher, about various topics and issues regarding the fallen workers of the Welland Canal. So far, we've shared stories highlighting the dangerous working conditions on the Welland Canal and some of the particular challenges immigrants may have faced during construction. In honor of Remembrance Day and the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War, we dedicate this special episode to those fallen workers of the Welland Canal who served in the First World War. These men survived the hardships and brutality of war, but sadly succumbed to the dangers of the canal's construction. In this episode, we pay tribute to the 17 men who served in the military and who made the ultimate sacrifice in building the Welland Canal. This episode was produced using primary source material as well as the Fallen Workers series published by the St. Catherine Standard and Niagara Falls Review. World War significantly altered the work on the Welland Ship Canal. Total mobilization meant that all of the country's resources, both material and human, were committed towards the war effort. Over the course of four years of war, between 1914 and 1918, thousands of men enlisted to serve. Manufacturing industries halted production of their regular goods to manufacture munitions and other tools needed for war. Women worked tirelessly on the home front. They took up the work of the men who went overseas, taking on their roles in factories and on farms. They used their power within the domestic realm to organize people and resources, supporting the war effort through fundraising garden parties, victory bond campaigning, knitting circles, and food drive collections. The war had consumed the country and all of its people. In regards to the new Welland Ship Canal project, by December 1916, construction on the work was shut down due to the war. And as of April 30th, 1917, any staff who remained were relieved of their duties. It would not be until January 1919 that hiring and work would resume on the canal. By that time, the workforce would include a significant number of returned soldiers who had served overseas. They were given a hiring priority on government projects such as the Welland Ship Canal. By September 1919, 2,000 men were back on the job, 700 of whom were returning soldiers. Today, in honor of Remembrance Day, 
we pay tribute to the 17 veterans of the First World War who lost their lives on the Welland Canal. We share their tragic stories to honor their memory and their contributions to our city and our country. We will begin by sharing the story of William Thibault. What follows is a St. Catherine Standard article detailing the circumstances of William Thibault's tragic death. The St. Catherine Standard, Tuesday, May 30th, 1922. Fell 70 feet to death on Ship Canal. William Thibault, age 32, was instantly killed on the Welland Ship Canal yesterday afternoon when he fell from a concrete tower, landing on the concrete floor of the lock, a distance of 70 feet. The accident occurred at Lock 2 of Section 2. Thibault was being employed by Messrs. Aikens and Inns, subcontractors on the Welland Ship Canal. He was working on the tower when he lost his balance. He was dead when the workmen picked him up and was removed to the construction hospital, from where he was later taken to Grob Brothers' funeral home. The deceased was single and resided in Nova Scotia until about a month ago when he came to this section to secure employment on the canal. He served throughout the World War without receiving a scratch. The remains were shipped from Grob Brothers last evening to his home in Nova Scotia, from where the funeral will take place. Coroner W.T. Greenwood was called, but decided that an inquest was not necessary. I would now like to invite Des Corrin onto the podcast to discuss the stories we are hearing today. Des, what can you tell me about William Thibault? Well, when William went overseas, he went over with the 26th New Brunswick Regiment, and he served at the Somme, Vimy Ridge, Hill 70, Passchendaele, Canal du Nord. But he was most recognized for his heroism at Moans. On the 8th of November, 1918, now that's just three days before the armistice, he single-handedly rushed a German machine gun post, killing the crew and capturing the gun. That action alone saved several Canadian lives, and for that he was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal. He started work on the canal on May the 5th, 22, and just 24 days later was killed when he tragically fell into Lock 2. What a tragedy when you consider the number of times he courageously faced death on all those battlefields, only to die at Lock 2, which should have been a safe construction site. I'd like to turn our attention to another fallen worker, Samuel Joseph Brennan. Brennan was born in Meriton and served for over three years at the front during the First World War. He was the last of the fallen workers of the Welland Canal, dying in 1935 of long-term complications sustained during his work on the canal construction. What follows is an obituary written for Samuel J. Brennan. The St. Catherine Standard, January 27, 1935. Samuel J. Brennan. The death occurred last night at the family home, 30 Dexter Street, of Samuel J. Brennan. His untimely death will come as a severe shock to his very large circle of friends, who had come to love him by the fine, gentle qualities with which he was abundantly blessed. While he had not been well for the past few years, he had not been seriously ill until about two weeks ago. He had been a resident of the city for the past 35 years, and had been employed as a carpenter, 
He saw overseas service in the Great War for three years, and while here was connected with the 31st Battery and the 81st and 18th Battalions. In religion, he was a faithful member of St. Mary's Church and was a valued member of the Holy Name Society of that church. To mourn his passing, he leaves his sorrowing wife, Grace Davis Brennan, and one daughter, Lois, at home. His parents, Mr. and Mrs. James Brennan, of this city, and two sisters, Mrs. Frank Everett, of this city, and Mrs. Gordon Weaver, of Buffalo. The funeral will be held from his late residence, 30 Dexter Street, at 845 on Wednesday, January 30th, to St. Mary's Church, where a high mass of requiem will be sung at 9 o'clock. Internment will take place in the Veterans Plot in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. Samuel Brennan was buried in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. Des, what can you tell me about his life? Well, he was born in Meriden, and he served for more than three years overseas. When you consider that he was one of the first to go overseas and the last to die in the canal, there's some irony there. But the fact that he was in Europe with, with that first deployment uh, says much about his service to Canada. His spinal injury in the canal was not confirmed, but it left him a paraplegic, and he survived until 1935. And the only real record we have is a, a single line in the death certificate, which was prepared by Dr. J.C. Bell, right? That's right. This, it stated that Brennan fell when forms collapsed while working on the Wellenship Canal. So that's really all we have to go off of. Let's expand our conversation to consider the other veterans who lost their lives on the canal. Des, can you tell me who was the youngest fallen worker to have enlisted in the First World War? The first youngest that we know of was a David McDonald, who was just 15 years old when he enlisted. But that wasn't discovered until he was in England. And when that became known, he was held back from going to the continent. So instead, he had to work as a support worker in one of the training camps, and apparently that didn't sit too well with him as he went AWOL and was later imprisoned after insubordination to a senior officer. He started work on the canal June the 16th, 1920, as a scow hand and was drawn five days later. His death was under very unusual conditions. He was sliding on a suspended rope from the scow to a tug. When the tautness of the rope slackened, his body lowered into the water and eventually carried away to his death. A witness noticed how his legs were the first to give way and then his body just disappeared. His, his body wasn't found for two days. One report said that he was married, another said he wasn't. He was denied ad, what he wanted in adventure in Europe, but somehow lost his life in what really looks like a misadventure on the Welland Canal. And what about the oldest? Well, the oldest was a gentleman by the name of James MacArthur Sr., born in England in 1867. He served with the British Royal Artillery in the 1890s, and that included a four-year deployment to India. He emigrated to Canada in 1905, but when the war was declared, he returned to England, hoping to join the Canadian Expeditionary Force. He was rejected three times, because of his age and his physical ability, so he moved to Scotland where he worked as a riveter building warships on the River Clyde. 
returned to Canada after the war. He was employed as a riveter with his son, James Campbell, and both were killed on August the 1st, 1928, at the Lock uh, 6 gate collapse. Now, that accident also took two other servicemen, uh, Leon Dion of Sherbrooke, Quebec, and Alex Simpson Wilson, and he served with the Royal Navy on the HMS Golden Strand. Were there any other unusual deaths of returned veterans? Actually, there were several, but one stands out, the story of James Saunders. He enlisted in 1915, went overseas, was injured, and invalided back to Canada. He found employment on the canal as a pilot on the government launch Nemo. At about 5 p.m., May 23, 1970, the Nemo was tied to a pier in Port Colborne. It was a very rainy day with strong winds. James was on the deck in full rain gear, which included sea boots. When a sudden wave caused the boat to rock, pitched him overboard, and his boots immediately filled with water, pulling him to his death. Other unusual deaths were to John Thomas Seaman, and he died from just heat stroke. David Radford was crushed to death when his body was caught in pump machinery, and William C. Douglas was crushed between two railroad cars. In all, there were 17 ex-servicemen who survived military service only to die during canal construction. I would like to end this special Remembrance Day episode by naming each of the 17 First World War veterans who died on the Welland Canal. Benjamin Price, age 42. Reginald Finnamore, age 22. David McDonald, age 26. Robert James Sharp, age 25. John Thomas Seaman, age 54. William Thibault, age 32. Anton Charrier, age 34, William C. Douglas, age 31, James Saunder, age 36, James MacArthur Sr., age 59, James Campbell MacArthur, age 36, Alexander Simpson Wilson, age 34, Leon Dion, age 33, Fergus Nottingham, age 34. Archibald McKinley, age 44. David Radford, age 49. Samuel Joseph Brennan, age 38. Each of these men made the ultimate sacrifice. They were heroes in both war and in peace. To have survived the terrors of war only to perish on the canal is simply inconceivable. The war had already put their families and loved ones through enough. Let us now take a moment of silence in honor of Remembrance Day and to remember those men and women who lost their lives in war to protect our country.
says, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today to share these important stories. Do you have any last words? I can only say this. For those who saw and those who survived the horrors of war, I can't believe that anyone ever suspected death would come when they were working, just building the Welland Canal. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon with special thanks to Des Corin for sharing his research and knowledge. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the Welland Canal Center and the City of St. Catharines.